and welcome everybody. You're listening to another episode of the Safety Conversation with SHP. My name is Mark Glover. I'm the editor of SHP Online. In this particular podcast episode, we're going to be looking at safety culture. I don't know if you heard, but we, we had a really good webinar recently that we did with Scott Gaddis at um, Intellect. So I'll share it below the line here for you if you haven't. But it was around culture and how to unlock a culture of safety, specifically with mobile digital devices. And it really sort of opened up a large debate around technology, again, that I know we uh, that, that we do touch on in, in the magazine. But we've got some really good engagement from, from you guys in the audience. And it just felt like a, a, a sort of natural evolution into the podcast to, to discuss that. And me, me and Scott had a good chat about it offline. So anyway, I'm pleased to say that Scott has kindly agreed to, to join us again all the way from Kentucky to give us a bit more of a deeper dive into this topic. So hopefully, by the power of the internet, Scott, you're you're the other side of the world there. Good good afternoon, morning, I think. Yeah, it's still morning here, but uh, it is fantastic to uh, to have another conversation with you. And and as a follow up from a, a really successful webinar that we did have, mm. I, I was a little surprised by the uh, by the interest in the subject, but it does excite me. So I, I'm glad to to share a little bit more about it. Cool. Good stuff. That's good. Good to have you here, Scott. And actually, I'm going to tee you up a bit because you've, you've had a really interesting, um, I would say, vast career around around safety. So I'm just going to read through some bullet points on your CV. But currently, you're the, your VP Global Practice Leader, Safety and Health at uh, Intellect, as I mentioned. Before joining Intellect, Scott was VP Global Environment Health and Safety for Coverus High Performance Packaging Company. He was the Executive Director of Global EHS for Bristol Myers Squibb, Global Director of Occupational Safety and Health at Kimberley and Clark, and, and General Electric Company as EHS Director. So, um, Scott, it's been a long career there. Where I, I imagine you've probably seen a lot of, of changes, one of which must be around technology. Yeah, it, it certainly has. I, I think that's one of the reasons that I joined uh, Intellex. I was asked yeah. to join by the... Uh, you know, by the president of the company, because they were looking for a, you know, a senior leader practitioner that could could bridge the gap between those that uh, that develop software and all of us yep. as practitioners that actually do it, you know, on a day to day yeah, basis. Yeah. I see something we're seeing a bit more now. We've, there are a few more technology companies, software systems providers that are coming up into the the, the sector, and more recently health and safety experts are being brought on as a like a consultant to bridge that gap because they are two separate things but you need a conduit don't you yeah you, you really do i uh you know i, I work around five or six hundred intellexians as we call them and, <laughs> yeah. you know tremendously talented in and what they do with software but what they need is context right of how i mm. deploy how to develop what should an application have in regard mm. to to making a, a practitioner successful. So yeah, me along with, with some others, we, we serve in a consultation perspective for companies. I also you know lead product development or I lead a lot of our, our thinking in product mm-hmm. development. So it's a very organic role, but many times I'm, I'm doing things like this or taking personal calls on practitioners that have not quite grasped uh, how technology helps them. And I, I just have conversation. Let's sort of strip it back a bit. And um, if we're talking about, you know, before we get into the the sort of tech side of it, if you like, if we are to consider a general culture of safety, are there certain elements, Scott, that you think elements of that culture 
that are challenging or problematic for the practitioner? Yeah, I, I think one of the, what I've noticed, especially yeah. over the last several years, is that I, I think this whole idea of, of safety culture is quite problematic for the practitioner. I think what I've noticed is it's become quite divided into camps, you know, yeah. uh, those that, that say there's not a such thing, you know, as safety culture and then those that, that go about it all the way in. So I, I do believe when I think about it, right, I rarely ever just define it. I, I think about it as process balance, right, as as how do we move organizational culture forward. And there, there's a slide that I often use in, in presentations or when I'm speaking in front of people that explains a bit of the way that I look at it as a practitioner. And the thing that separates us as practitioner from those that are academics is that we have real life practice, right? We're, we're basically in the trenches doing this work. And as you kind of think about culture, you know, you, you kind of go all the way up to corporate culture and that's our moral, that's our ethics. That's how we feel about ourselves socially. It's those norms that, that really kind of bring this organization together. And then those things promote perceptions within a base of employees. When I think about, you know, safety culture, and again, I, I, I'm not at all abated by the fact that you may think about that differently. But but overall, when we think about the culture of safety, it's our collective values, it's our attitudes, it's our competencies, it's perceptions. It's all of those things at a granular basis that really kind of influence us uh, individually or even within groups. So it's how committed we are, it's how proficient we are. So there's a lot of stuff that's kind of baked into that definition. But what's problematic is I, I think for many practitioners, they side in one aspect of culture or the other. But I, I do think it's process balance. You know, when you think about how we have looked at uh, cultural safety, we look at it usually from a behavioral aspect, right? We're going to go out, mm. we're going to observe what people do. We're going to see them doing things that are safety related or they're taking actions. So these, these behaviors are very visible. And then, you know, we're trying to gauge, is that a desired behavior or is it not? And then we go about doing feedback loops, right? So it, it was very methodical. It was certainly born here, or I don't know if it was born here, but certainly promulgated in, in the U.S. in the early mm. 90s. And we really kind of went into that with some thinking is if we can fix this person, we can fix the environment where they work, right? So it mm -hmm. makes no difference how much risk we're leaving in the in the work system. As long as that employee can act a certain way, we'll be okay. And, mm -hmm. and that's not true, right? So when I think mm -hmm. about balance, there's, there's two other big aspects I think we really do need to think about is it's, it's the psychological aspects of culture, how people feel, it's the perceptions, it's what my individual group values are, it's our individual values. I usually kind of coin this or think about this as it's the safety climate. It's really where we're living day to day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. It's these aspects of how I feel about where I work. And that has a tremendous impact on the culture that we're trying to drive and we're trying to actually uh, achieve. So, so psychological, and then I've talked about behavioral. And then, you know, I think many times uh, when I, I remember when I was in corporate leadership, and I think it was during my, my first promotion when I was leaving one site facility and going into a, a North America role, we were 
trying to drive these aspects of culture, but we were leaving, I think, the most important work behind. It's it's situational aspects. It's mm. how we are supporting the culture that we really want. And that's the work of an environmental health and safety team and mm. developing the right policies and developing procedures that are simple, they're understood, and limiting the amount of rules that you have in an organization. Do I have the right resources that care for the people in my organization? What's the organizational structure look like? And then, you know, many times, and I I often talk about this quite a lot, is if you attended any webinar or, or you've seen me, I literally always drive us back to one slide about understanding the management system, right? How good is the management system? Is it robust? So those are situational aspects that really support everything that you want to do from a behavioral aspect approach or even a psychological aspect approach in embracing this this culture that you're you're really wanting to drive. And, and so when I think about all of that that I've said, what we're trying to do with cultures, we're trying to move them. I think the Bradley Curve really does offer a, a tremendous uh, view of what we're really trying to get to. You know, we're trying mm-hmm. to take them away from being dependent on us, you know, to drive them over to a phase of independence where they can take care of themselves. But ultimately, we're trying to get them to this thing we call interdependent culture where they can not only take care of themselves, but I care enough about the person, about my coworkers, about the organization that I'm in to give more. And that's just, it just takes more than observation and feedback loops to do that. So it's a lot of stuff, right? And, and mm. this whole, you know, podcast could be on that, but that's really how I think about it as a practitioner. Thanks, Scott. Actually, it's interesting because um, I alluded to your CV and your, your career at the top of the, the podcast there, and you've obviously worked in the UK. Yeah, I have uh, in, in all of my uh, my organizations. I spent most of the time when I took over a small packaging company or what I thought was a small packaging company. Most of yeah. my facilities were in the UK, and yeah. uh, I I would uh, would get in a car at Heathrow and I would just drive yeah. from one end of the of the country to the other. <laughs> in every small little village that uh, that you can imagine, I had a Colveris packaging plant. Uh, so it was always good learning, always good learning. But yeah, absolutely. Heavily extensive and, and throughout Europe, but but a lot in the UK. Well, what, what I'm interested in is if you're able to, you know, touching on culture, are you able to spot differences even between the UK and the US in terms of the cultures that you, you've seen and experienced? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, yeah. there, there's quite a lot. Uh, you know, in the early 90s, we were, we were really listening to U.S.-based psychologists talk about safety culture. So we took yeah. off on, on a lot of that, you know, well before those in the U.K. and, and even uh, Europe did. And the difference is, is that uh, I've always found that North America specifically is very compliance-minded, right? We have the OSHA mm-hmm. laws. We have EPA laws. We have you know, DOT laws if you're in transportation. So Mm. what we've really been trained to do is to meet compliance objectives. And, you know, over the years, of course, we all learned that that's a, those are table stakes, right? That's the minimal acceptable actions that we need to take. And we've learned from that. I think one of the things that I noticed when I was kind of lofted into corporate positions and started visiting my colleagues in the UK and throughout Europe is they're very risk-based, right? So it always starts with uh, understanding through assessment 
what my severity and what my frequency or probability is for the things that I want to do. And honestly, I took all of that information when I was in corporate, when I had corporate responsibilities, I really did drag it all the way back into the U.S. And I started implementing some of those things that that I learned there because I think the approach is right. I think that when you look at how we should best do safety and health, I think it always starts with understanding management systems and then understanding understanding the risk, right, that are residing inside of those management systems. So I think that those are the big differences is that when I look uh, at the EMEA region, they've been slower to adapt to some of the behavioral things, and now that's coming to to bear. And then for us, we're understanding risk much, much differently. So I think mm. it's all been a good thing. You know, we just mm. may have, have kind of flipped the script a little bit on the things that we're sure. focused on. Um, you touched on it a couple of times there about the safety management system and, it, and its influence. So how how does it how does the safety management system influence culture? You know, it significantly contributes to really the development and the enhancement of what you want to see with culture. Because you know, a couple of things here is that it promotes awareness, it better's communication. Uh, when we think about uh, risk awareness, you know, it's a very proactive approach, right? So not only are we employing risk management tools to identify and assess risk, employees become aware of that if you do it correctly. And when I say that is that when I think about a safety management system, I think about deploying that as far out in the organization as I possibly can. And I've often, you know, if you work for me, you'll know that I I say things quite often over and over again. You know, I've often said that this is a lot of work for a few of us, meaning the teams that I have directly supervised, or it's a little work for a lot of us. And and what mm. that means is, is can I spread the safety management system out into the organization and very deep? Can I get it to the front line where things are being made or, or things are, our services are rendered? So, you know, risk awareness and mitigation, we could own that as an EHS team. However, when we take that out to the front line, employees become very aware of their hazards and they learn to mitigate risk before they even escalate them. I think communication and and reporting, it's required within a management system to do that. But when employees feel comfortable you know, reporting safety issues. It fosters a culture of openness and it fosters transparency where we can be honest with one another. So, you know, these are some of the things, you know, continuous improvement, uh, a culture of continuous improvement cultivates that we learn from things that happen, right? So incidents are no longer blame sharing or blaming, you know, placing. It's about understanding what's happened in that incident. So it gives us a better idea of what root causes were and then we can implement sustainable you know elimination or mitigation of event if you adapt to anything like an ISO 45001 or hmm. in in the US an ANSI Z10 standard those SMS systems encourage really active involvement uh, in, in safety processes. And and I, I think that that's, that is really the nexus of what is good about, you know, fostering this idea of a management system is that employees start to feel that their input is, is valued and they can see the results, you know, they can, they're, they're very alive within the management system. So they understand that their contributions matter. And then of course, you know, the, the other two things I always think about, these aren't all of them, but, mm-hmm. you know, training and competence, I, I uh, if you were to look at any management system that I've ever deployed, 
I would say that much of my management systems have all been around capability development and capacity. And one of them is training, it's competence, it's skill levels. They need to know what we expect of them to uh, to do in regard to safety and health. And the capacity side of that that really fosters this idea of interdependence is how much can I have them give back to me? And in every organization I've ever had, I have really focused on capacity planning. So the person that is doing lockout, tagout training or confined space entries that knows the most of it from a workable, from a working knowledge approach can also transfer that over to, to a coworker back to me, you know, if it's needed. But that really does enforce a, a really positive safety culture. And then last, I, I think a strong safety culture stops at, at, starts at the top of an organization. You will never be able to dislodge me, you know, from that because uh, leaders really do frame what safety success looks like in an organization. And certainly I have run this both ways. You know, I've run it from the ground up, but there's a lot of barriers, right? If you don't have leaders that are very committed, that value safety and and the culture that you're really trying to drive. So leaders need to prioritize safety. They need to set clear expectations. They need to model behaviors. And all of that is really, really embraced in a robust management system. I don't think you have to bang the drum too loud for a top-down <laughs> safety culture. I, I think it, it's with anything really. If you see the person at the top doing it, then you're gonna, you are. It's simplifying it, but you are going to take more notice. And I think many of us think that you need this active daily engagement from a senior leader in the organization, right? What you need from them is commitment, right, and value setting. And when I was really kind of promoted into corporate positions, I really did use the most senior leader to do that for me, as all I needed that person to do was to deliver the message that we had a value for safety and health. It was our chief value. And and these are the expectations that I have of you as an employee. What I could do then, right, is to take that message and make it more granular and use mm-hmm. my teams and spread that, you know, out through, you know, very granular programming. So so think about it that way is that many mm-hmm. times I think leaders are not always as accountable as we would like them because they're not quite sure what their role is. You know, use them for position power, right, to set value for really what you want to get done as a practitioner. Now, you'll you'll have various sides of this. You'll have CEOs and presidents and companies yeah. that want to take a very, very active part. And, and certainly that's a great thing. But you may not need that much work from them. You may just need them to set the tone for really what you you want to achieve. And that's what I, I often needed is that I just needed them right to set a tone for what I was really trying to to drive yeah. in the organization. And it worked well. You know, it really did. Yeah. That's really interesting, Scott, because we you often feel like. And yes, if you're, if you're talking to the people at the top, so the, so the CEO or the financial director, you know, the board, shall we? put them into that it's a battle that you have to really engage with them and you've got to flog and you've got to say this and look what's that and they're like holding these golden keys but i've had this is a really interesting point i think you've only got to get a certain amount from them and they obviously only can give a certain amount because they might not be a health and safety professional but you've got that certain trigger or that indicator yeah i'm on board 
I, I think it's really important that we that we really understand that because you, you got to think about this, right? We see this at the very top of organizations and at the very bottom of organizations. You know, yeah. as practitioners, right? I, I I have spent over thirty years very dedicated, very specifically focused on environmental health and safety. Uh, a plant manager, a president of a company, a CEO of the company has quality, safety and health, environmental yeah. work, sustainability work, operations, right, maintenance. Yeah. They, they have a, a plethora, right, a myriad uh, of, of variables that are in front of them, which safety and health or environmental work is just one or two of those. So so think about it in, in, in that framework of saying there's a tremendous amount of accountability that they have. What do I need from them? And, and I think many times we really do back away from this leadership opportunity of of really owning and driving a system that we know you know yeah. that will work so what i need from a senior leader is, is for them to remove the barriers that are laying in front of me that prevents me from doing that and that may be resources that may be you know capital financing you know there's there's several mm-hmm. things but that's what we need them for and then of course to set the tone of what the expectations are and and i i think you know kind of drawing that back to us we are the best at positioning ourselves as really the experts of driving a management system that we know will deliver the the results that we you know we care about yeah that's a really nice way way of putting it um i just wanted to touch on again something you said there scott about that engagement with the workforce it's so um so important and i think the idea of getting someone on board to like you were saying do your confined spaces training we play to the ego a bit can't you but if someone's going he thinks i've known my stuff there he thinks i can deliver that and then it 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 works doesn't it and then you just the eyes light up and then they're on on board it's really interesting well it's very true and you know i ran companies that uh you know for most of it you know for almost 20 years of it that that made bath tissue that made you know, feminine products that made diapers, right? Things like that. So they weren't always super excited to come to work to make bath tissue. However, what they were super excited about is coming in and feeling that they were a part of our business, right? And and so that's a different mindset. And how do you do that? You create objectives for them that that really kind of pull them out of being, quote, a manufacturing employee or a service employee into owning part of the business with you. And that could be can you, do you feel, right, uh, do you have the skills to deliver training to someone that really needs to know what you know about confined space or lockout, tagout, mm-hmm. or whatever the subject are? So, you know, this whole idea of culture and, and leveraging culture a certain way, a lot of it, again, right, going back to that definition, it's about perceptions. It's about the way that I feel. It's how I feel valued in the organization versus I'm going to watch you do something and, and make sure you're doing it right. You know, it's just a total different mindset and how we're delivering the culture that I think we, we we desire, you know, mostly. Let's focus a bit on the the cool side of it, shall we say, the technology, the widgets, the gadgets, yeah. everything like that. So I'm a bit of a tech head and I'm quite into it all. And um, we can never truly fathom the impact of technology on one's life. It, it's just going to always be, always be up there. But um, for you, Scott, what I mean, what excites you about technology, but more so how it's influencing health and safety, not necessarily the culture Mm -hmm. yet, but how it's influencing health and safety. Yeah, I I think it's one of the reasons that I I joined Intellex. I I was asked to join uh, by by the president of the company because they were looking, 
you know, really for a senior level uh, EHS practitioner to join to give them um, uh, really kind of relevance of what they really wanted to do. And and I, I joined because I was really struggling. I had I had data laying everywhere. You know, I had business analysts on my teams. I was getting information too late. I was not able to make the decisions that I wanted to make. I had 160 facilities, right, all doing their different things. So mm-hmm. so for me, right, I, I totally looked at it as joining Intellects to to fix when some of that. When was this, Scott? So, Sorry to jump in. When, when was, what year was this? Can you remember? Yeah, so I, I joined uh, five years ago, almost almost six years ago. So, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, I'm fairly new, you know, yeah. and I, I think one of the mandates that I've had since joining Intellects is to stay on this side of our technology, Right. So I, I really do look at everything from a practitioner's view. You know, I look at it from the front end. I look at it from data gathering the way a practitioner would see it, you know, sitting in, in a chair or looking at it on, on a tablet or a device. So, yeah. So I think it yeah. is that I think it is really looking at uh, at technology through the lens of, of a practitioner. So, you know, what when I think about it and, uh, you know, what excites me. In regard to safety and health, I think it is – there's there's some key things here that I, I get really excited about. It's understanding data just differently than I've been able to do. You know, I can now see it in real time or near real time, and I can make decisions. So that's that's by far the, the big thing for me is that I really did struggle, you know, with that. And I'm going to bet whoever listens to this podcast can identify is that we have so much data – from everywhere, yeah. from SharePoint sites to Word documents to Excel, and it's just kind of laying there. Yeah. And we don't yeah. really know how to, to homogenize it, right, to bring it all together. So understanding data differently is, uh, is, is, is a game changer. I think, you know, being able to run uh, predictive analytics to understand uh, data that is very future facing. And, and for, for even those in technology, that's been very significant in regards to its challenge because what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to collect data. We're trying to, to run predictive uh, analytics behind it to understand a person many times, right? So, you know, the most fluid thing in every work system that I know of is this person, right? And, and where is our, our customer facing opportunity? It's, it's with the people, right? So, uh, you know, if we were running some other process, it would not maybe include a person, but because we're in safety and health, that is our, our common denominator here, what we're trying to build better controls. So being able to run predictive analytics, understand data that's that's future facing. And, you know, one of the things that excites me about, you know, what we're doing is, is that we acquired a company called Predictive Solutions, you know, mm-hmm. three or four years ago. And, and it's all about looking at observations through through inspections for the challenges that you you may be pressed with in the workplace. And I've often given this as as an example, but you know, missing certain things on an inspection sheet may not be an issue, but it might, right? So if you miss it one time, maybe that's not an issue. If you miss certain things over mm-hmm. and over again, you've actually introduced a tremendous amount of variability into the work system. And we need to figure out why you're missing that, why it's not important, why it's uh, it's not a significant event for you to look at. So, so understanding, I think, data differently and with a lens toward future-facing uh, activities that could happen, that's been a challenge and, and we've been able to overcome it. I think for me, 
being able to to do prescriptive analytics to understand prescription right is even a better approach and and so that's very exciting for me is that i can see data i can understand it i can understand the priorities that i uh, the, of the problems that i have in front of me now that i can prescribe uh, program changes, you know, to take care of that challenge. I, I think, you know, and we're not in the hardware business at, at all, but I, I get really excited about some of the IoT devices such as wearables mm-hmm. and cameras. And and we've recently partnered with Protex AI. You know, that's just a camera systems that look out, you know, over the work environment and, you know, through their algorithms, they're able to identify mm-hmm. problem areas that we've agreed upon and now I can identify them, I can stop them, I can warn you, right? And, and those are, have been very resistant issues. Uh, and I, I, I often talk about this is that, you know, I really do apply a lot of, of, of control about things that I really understand a lot uh, uh, about. Some of our, our challenges, and, and again, I, I would say even within the audience, you've had challenges you've not been able to overcome. So I'm really excited about things like wearables and cameras because we're, mm-hmm. we're able to overcome a lot of those, those really age-resistant problems. And then, you know, probably the big thing is, is I'm really excited about uh, mobile. You know, this is kind of a new thing, but but uh, I'm excited about technology going mobile of actually, you know, putting a, a device in people's hands. It's ultimately, Scott, particularly with data, it's about being proactive, isn't it? Which is pretty much what a health and safety professional wants to do. The last thing you want to be is reactive, because if you're reacting, then you're probably too late. So this gives you that power. Yeah, that's what excites me is that we're able to use technology to influence culture through basically taking some of this variability or these barriers out of the work system. I, I think that's the most exciting thing to me is that I can use very available, you know, really tangible technologies now to overcome uh, resistant issues. And I, I think, you know, for the practitioner, you know, there's some timidity still because they don't mm-hmm. understand everything about technology, which yeah. is, again, you know, really kind of why I'm in a row that I'm in is to, to help you understand that or to yeah, yeah. get you, you know, to, to an end state where you do, you know, enough. Just as a little aside on data, I mean, practitioners are used to looking at stats all the time. You know, it's it's part of the role. But is the amount of data that is being produced through IoT, through probably my fridge downstairs is doing it now at the moment or, so, or something like that. Is there a danger of having too much data or that just comes down to the skill of the professional to be able to to sift through that? Or is, there, is that too much? Oh, oh, absolutely. The safe answer to that is there's a lot of data. Right. I, I think it really does come down. I mean, we uh, and I'm asked a lot to, to do this with some of our applications. And it, it's amazing, you know, some of the information that our clients want to know. When I look at it from my side, I at times shake my head going, well, why would that ever be relevant to what they need to know? Right. Yeah, However, yeah. it's not mine. So there may be, you know, a specific position yeah, yeah. That, that they're really looking at. But absolutely. I, I, I think that working with and it's not just us, but a technology partner that understands the data that's resonant inside of a system that matters most is a very safe talking point. You know, as you kind of go on these journeys, 
Uh, we're asked quite often, can you tell me what the five things I need to learn from incident management or inspections and auditing? Okay. We, we can help guide you or to, to funnel that discussion down to these are the five, the 10 or the 15 things that you really probably want to choose from. And then we can take you from there. But absolutely. I mean, um, especially EHS professionals that are analytic in nature, right? They mm -hmm. love slicing data to mean something else than what it was intended to mean. And there's yeah. a bit of danger because you do kind of get into this whole idea of too much data. It, it really kind of drags me to the way, you know, it's, it's uh, paralysis through analysis. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think there's some help on that. I think that uh, we, we certainly have been around quite a long time to help you understand it a little bit differently. Simply. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thanks Scott. So, um, Let's get, I guess, to the nub of the matter. So do you think this technology can ultimately, uh, we've touched on safety culture and what it might look like or what you think a good, a good framework is, but how can technology help improve safety culture? Yeah, I, I'm reminded we, we ask about 750 European EHS practitioners not very long ago, actually, what, right. what their biggest challenges were in leading uh, environmental health and safety in their organization. The answers, uh, regret regrettably, as I kind of think about my career, were not very surprising to us, <laughs> is that, you know, 41%, almost half, told yeah. us gaining employee participation was their number one challenge. Uh, I think 33% of all the practitioners said educating and training my employees was a challenge. And then 32% of them said implementing this whole idea of safety culture, right? So when I, when I think about that, I think about yeah. my career. It, I, I started uh, very, very late, uh, 1989, uh, that long ago. And uh, when I think about that, if you were to ask me what my three big challenges were, it would have been those. It would have been right. getting employees yeah. participating with me, uh, educating, you know, having time to develop them, and then implementing this thing we call safety culture, right? So yeah. when, when I think about technology and the challenges that we have, and how do I, I really overcome them, right? Is that when I think about culture and how technology can move that, I, I mentioned just a, a few moments ago about mobile, is that I, I really do believe this is going to be a tremendous lever and driving culture as we want to see it. And, and the reason that I say that I, I've been doing, you know, several things over the last several months, uh, but I, I have a slide in my presentation, you know, I, I did some research about 83% of millennials, you know, open up a text within 90 seconds of receiving them, right? That's that's a lot. 72% of millennials text more than 10 times a day. I mean, I even do that, right? So I can say that that's probably marginally correct. 82% uh, yeah. of employees keep their cell phones with them with an eyesight all day long. So eight of 10 of us, right, keep a, a phone on us, you know, all the time. Yeah. You know, all the companies are expecting us to, uh, you know, ha have policies or 85 percent of companies have bring your own device policies and 51 percent of employees already have company mandated apps. So we think, you know, especially in Alex and, and me as a practitioner, I think putting a safety management system in the hands of every worker where it makes sense, you know, is super exciting. And, and I think uh, how we're looking at it from a cultural change, you know, I've talked a lot about the problems, you know, those are the inverse of what I want to see uh, how we develop mobile applications for, for clients. 
And, and what does that mean? Mm. Uh, when I think about my biggest challenge as a, as a practitioner going back, I spent a tremendous amount of my time on the manufacturing floor having conversations, talking, building relationships with the people that worked for us because I really was trying to develop, you know, this culture where everyone felt engaged, where they perceived safety as good, right, as desired. And then I could see them through actions. I could support them through through development. But really what what I really needed to do is to to be uh, resonant on the front line as much as I possibly could. I, I think that's the big change for me is that now I can put the safety management system in the hands of every worker where it makes sense. And I can develop a very intimate experience for that person by developing what we call personal personas. So, you know, I can give them a dashboard of things that they are to do today to support safety and health or the environmental program. I, I can give them access to the files that they need, such as a an SJP or an SOP mm-hmm. or or access to an SDS management or SDS a file of the chemicals that they're using in their area. So saying all of that, right, I can make it very intimate. And that's really what we're finding when we look at demographics of, of the workforce. Today, about half of it is millennials and Gen Zs, and about half of it is Gen X and baby boomers. But that's soon going to change. If you look at statistics, I'm soon going to be leaving the workforce, right? And most of of the buying decisions, most of the authority will now be in that group of Gen X and, or excuse me, millennials and Gen Z, right? So what's their expectation? Well, they expect technology as a driver for the things that they need to do. They're using it for banking. They're on social Mm -hmm. media now, right? So they expect to see some of these uh, technologies deployed in their work experience. So we think that we're coming into this at exactly the right spot because there's an expectation. And then I think another thing about that is that it is how they absorb information now. Mm. So things have to be somewhat intimate. They have to be concise. You know, the days of being able to spend two or three hours teaching lockout, tagout training, you know, those things are are becoming barriers, right, to how, you know, success is measured. So even attention levels, all of those things, right, kind of boil down to the fact that, you know, can I build out a persona that's very intimate in the workplace that that kind of takes them from being dependent on an EHS team all the way over to interdependence, you know, because I've got information, I've got to react to it. I, I don't want to use the word gamify, right? But I, I absolutely want to make a mobile experience so enthusiastic that you want to participate with it, right? So I think that's what success looks for for us on the technology side, of course, we'll always have desktop technologies, but the one that you've asked, right, is what really excites you? What is about this safety culture mm. you think you can change? I think we, we can certainly overcome a lot of barriers that way. I think having technologies, as you touched on towards the end there, Scott, that is attractive now, I think, for someone to see that they've got this pretty cool, it's something I'm yeah. used to, I can use it, I can see the technology, it's almost scientific, yes, I'm on I'm on board with that, and that, I think, is going to help a bit of a, um, hopefully, an influx of, of people coming in. I don't know how long it'll take, I, 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 you know, actually, how long, what, how long do you think it'll take for your mobile revolution to, to come through to the workforce? Well, it, and it's honestly, it's a question that we ask ourselves quite often is, you yeah. know, 
because there are a lot of barriers to that. I, I certainly was not in the camp of everyone having a, a personal device, you know, talking on the phone, all those kind of things in, in, in the workplace. I, I was in the opposite camp, right, until I started losing uh, the fight, so to speak. I, you know, I was disciplined. I was, you know, seeing terminations happen because of these smart devices, right, being used or being, quote, snuck into the workplace, Right. So, so then I, I had to divert from that and say, well, can we build policy? Uh, and we spent a lot of time on that, too, talking with with clients about, well, what are your policies around bring your own device? You know, where can they be used? So we don't think that it's a straight you know, path to, to success. There are certainly some barriers that are in the way, hmm. but we think more on the side of that. This is something that has a, a, a tremendous amount of resident uh, yeah. opportunity to better us. Right. If we can if we can move it in and then you kind of back down from there. Right. Well, if I can't use a, a mobile device on the front line, kind of put in the kiosk. Right. Can I develop policy yeah. where they can be used in a break room? And so there's some barriers there to overcome. But we're seeing those as opportunities, you know, to to defeat some long resistant challenges. Uh, the thing that I do know is mm-hmm. that there's a tremendous amount of resident challenges, barriers in the work system that we know that we can defeat through, you know, through technology and especially now, you know, putting a, a mobile management system in the hands of employees. So we think it's a it's a good thing. I, I think so, we're going to be surprised, you know, by uh, by some of the success we'll have. Watch this space. I think we'll, yeah. uh, we'll keep, keep in <laughs> touch, Scott. Um, Listen, we're coming towards the end now. It's been a really good conversation so far. I really appreciate it. But um, I haven't prepped you for this one, but it's something I always try to ask the guests that that come on. And it's I'm just intrigued as to I mean, the way you come across. I can tell extremely passionate about what you do, the tech side of it, also the cultural side of it, and ultimately looking after the, the workforce. But what, what's your sort of motivation, Scott? You've done this for, for so many years. What keeps you getting up at eight in the morning to take that flight to wherever, wherever in Manchester? And what, what's, yeah. what's it, what is it for yeah. you? I, uh, yeah, I, I've asked this quite a lot, actually. You know, I, I do care a tremendous amount of, of uh, about people. I, I come from actually a ministry background. So, you know, when sure. I, when I came yeah. out of college, I was actually going to go into church-based ministries or I was going to do this. And wow. I decided to do this, but I'm still very involved in, in ministries. And I, I think there's something about, right, uh, you know, what, and many of, of, of safety and health legislators, they're called the ministry of, right? So what yeah. we're trying to do is really convert uh, this person, this worker that's in our workforce to think about, you know, something differently, to, to be educated and trained on something differently. Uh, really, all of that kind of boils down to we are trying to return this person home uh, safe and healthy. And, and many times I've kind of looked at it better than than when they showed up and and that's what gets me up as i i have tremendous passion for protecting uh people of of uh, making them better you know through education and training of pulling them up for where they think they may be into something that's a little bit more exciting so i, I think that's it i think it's protecting the workforce it's it's building people to think differently and to uh to hopefully you know make them a little bit more than than maybe what they thought you know they could be so yeah, I, uh, I, I'm asked this and I've probably answered it maybe five different ways to a specific audience, but that's it. I no, mean, I, I always think that my job as a, as a safety professional 
is to remove as much variability from the workplace as I possibly can. And that in turn really leverages an employee to make the decision that I think is the best uh, for them to make in regard to the environment where they're working. So if we as practitioners really look at all these errors that are laying within the work system, defeat those, eliminate them, or at least mitigate them, it really does leverage the, uh, the workforce to make the decisions that's a lot closer to what you want them to make. And, and I think that that's our, our, our real job here. That's uh, Scott Gaddis. He's a VP, uh, Global Practice Leader, Safety and Health uh, Intellects uh, Technologies. But so much more than that. And, and what we've been been speaking about is, uh, as I'm sure you agree, just a really insightful conversation with so many nuggets to take away. I'll share in the uh, audience notes the, the links to the webinar that, that we were talking about. You can still download that as an on-demand one. I think there's also uh, an article, some questions that we took from that. And some of Scott's kindly done a blog for us as well, which I'll also share. So um, take take some time to um, have a look at if you can so yeah just another housekeeping bits before we uh, do head off if you're new to the podcast we've got a hub page which i'll also share at the bottom so that archives all of our recording there's a wealth of content there for you to get stuck into if you do like what you hear if this is the first time you can follow the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get uh, your podcast from sorry and i'm told to say by marketing we're also available on your smart speaker so simply ask to play the safety conversation if you haven't already subscribed you can do so so get to get the latest episodes as soon as they're released uh, it would be great if you could rate us and comment on your chosen platform as that will help us get the show out to a wider audience. Finally, do stay tuned in to shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news and you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Uh, once again, thank you for, for listening and we will see you next time. Take care.